traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Deputy Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today on the show is one of our board members, Kershid Koja. He's the founder of Greenbridge Corporate Counsel PC, a California business law firm he founded in 2012, which represents clientele from across numerous sectors in the legal cannabinoid industries on regulatory startup, corporate, intellectual property, finance, and other commercial and transactional matters. Kershid currently serves as chair emeritus of the board of directors at NCIA and serves as co-chair of NCIA's policy council. He's also outside general counsel to students for sensible drug policy. He's previously served on the board and policy committee of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, California State Treasurer's Cannabis Banking Working Group, as a founding board member and general counsel of the California Cannabis Industry Association, also a mentor and member of the selection committee for the ArcView Investor Network. Among other honors, Kershid was profiled in the National Law Journal's first ever Cannabis Law Trailblazers list. He's been named to the annual Northern California Super Lawyers Rising Stars list multiple times and has received SSDP's Unsung Hero Award multiple times and ArcView Investor Network's Outstanding Member Award. You're a very busy man, Kershid. Welcome to the show. I try to stay out of trouble, Bethany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So um, that was a lot to cover, but, you know, I always love to hear more about the background and experience of people in our cannabis community, uh, sure. sort of the things they did before getting involved in cannabis. Like maybe you wanted to be an astronaut when you grew up. How about <laughs> you? What's your story? Well, certainly if anyone had told me on my way into law school that I would be a cannabis industry attorney uh, when I grew up, um, I, uh, I probably would have uh, would have laughed at them. Um, I, I went into 
law school um, uh, after spending time at an arms control think tank in, in DC. And so I went into law school thinking that I would be doing international law. Um, and uh, it turned out that uh, I had uh, an aptitude for business and, and regulatory law. Um, and so, you know, that's what I ended up uh, doing out of, out of law school uh, before I got into the cannabis industry. So I was at a, a, a big uh, multinational law firm working on um, securities uh, deals, working on uh, a lot of renewable energy transactions, um, and general corporate uh, and regulatory work um, as well. So um, some of the same things that I do, but uh, outside the cannabis industry. Gotcha. Great. Yeah. Great skill sets to bring over into cannabis, um, which is incredibly highly regulated and complicated as well. So with all that, what attracted you to moving into solely the cannabis space from a legal perspective? How, how did that happen? Uh, so it was, um, you know, I was building my dream practice. Um, you know, uh, I guess how, how it happened over time was, uh, you know, I was um, um, uh, a, a consumer of cannabis uh, for uh, many years before I actually started working in the industry and had had a love for the plant. Um, and then in law school also um, had the benefit of going through a, um, a seminar um, uh, on the, uh, the drug war and all the civil rights um, uh, atrocities that were happening in the name of uh, the war on drugs um, and how, you know, cannabis prohibition was front and center uh, of all that. Um, and so, you know, the, for me, um, you know, I was a, I was a, an activist, uh, social justice activist fairly early on in life. Uh, my first protest um, was sophomore year of high school. I was in front of the South African consulate um, protesting apartheid. Um, and, um, you know, for, for me, there was, um, uh, you know, my, my cannabis activism and, and all my previous activism and all kind of looped together for me, right? Um, especially when I started to um, read folks like Michelle Alexander, right? Who, you know, there was a very, there was a point, um, um, uh, th 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 there was a, um, 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 a, a fact uh, that she cited in her book, The New Jim Crow, uh, basically saying, hey, you know, we lock up more black men uh, in America for cannabis um, than the number of black men that were locked up in South Africa during uh, an insurgency against apartheid. Um, so that, to me, spoke volumes, right, and um, helped me see the continuity of kind of what, what I'd been doing along, you know, during my life and, and what I wanted to do. Wow, that's a great story. And yeah, being being at protests early on in our careers certainly um, gives us a certain taste for wanting to continue to be a part of these issues as we develop into our careers. I can I can personally relate to that as well. So so these days you've been running uh, the Greenbridge Corporate Council law firm uh, since 2012. So you're, you're you got your 10 year anniversary here. Tell me more about. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's going on with the firm? How are you celebrating your tenure? Um, <laughs> we're, we're celebrating it with more work. Um, <laughs> Good. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Problem um, to have. You know, yes, absolutely. A good problem to have. Um, you know, um, my my day to day, you know, I, I both practice as an attorney and I have to run uh, the law firm as well. And then I've also got all of my um, you know, pro bono commitments, including the NCIA board, which, uh, you know, I, I love dearly. And so, um, you know, my, my role at the firm, though, is, is to, to guide our practice, to, to grow our practice. And so, you know, we've gone from being a, you know, quote unquote, marijuana firm uh, to being a firm that represents clients, um, you know, throughout what I like to call the cannabinoid industries, right? So it's not just psychoactive cannabis and marijuana, but also hemp and uh, also, you know, pharmaceutical and biosynthetic uh, cannabinoids as well. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're um, expanding our services to be able to serve um, all of the cannabinoid industries competently. And we you know, have been doing that now for, for some time. Uh, we are also um, branching out more and more into um, psychedelics work, um, specifically, you know, helping uh, <clears throat> nonprofits um, and uh, other enterprises that are trying to help folks uh, through psychedelic uh, treatment and therapy to, um, to, you know, to, to get past uh, injuries such as PTSD, for example, we help a group called VETS, uh, which um, helps veterans, um, uh, former Navy SEALs that have had uh, severe PTSD, they are able to get their lives, uh, lives back on track through psychedelic therapies that are administered overseas. And so, you know, the psychedelics uh, practice um, is something that uh, is growing um, and that we you know, also take um, uh, to be part and parcel of, of our mission, uh, right, as a law firm. Our, our, our mission as a law firm is to is to fight the drug war. Um, it's not just to make money, um, you know, setting up cannabis businesses, but to continue fighting the drug war until it's over, until we roll it back completely. And so the psychedelics work is part and parcel um, of that. Um, the other thing that I'm really excited about um, at our practice, um, you know, that we're, we're starting to grow is our digital assets uh, practice. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think um, blockchain, cryptocurrency technology have an incredible amount of promise, uh, not only for, for private industry, but for being able to accomplish 
uh, public goods, common goods, right? Um, and so I have a vision for using these technologies to advance the cannabis industry. Um, you know, for example, if we're not able to get um, safe banking in a reasonable amount of time, we need to have some solutions, right? And so uh, that's the kind of work that uh, is, is uh, occupying my time these days. Yeah, there's, you know, never a dull moment these days in the cannabis industry. And, you know, every, the, the, the phrase Moore's Law, right, the idea that every year more and more science builds on top of itself is true in the cannabis industry as well uh, with, with the science of our cannabinoids and all, all the different uh, components of our industry, not to mention all the technology that's being um developed in our industry it really is becoming a very very high tech and high science industry as well and i'm just loving to see all the cannabinoid science coming out so it's it's really what we have been working toward all this time and now the science is backing us up so yeah you definitely have your your work cut out for you Okay, let's take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and chat more with Kershid. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and we're chatting with Kershid Koja from Greenbridge Corporate Council, and he is also one of our Evergreen members, which is our top tier of membership for uh, companies and organizations that really want to be policy leaders in the cannabis industry. So let's chat a bit more about NCIA's advocacy efforts, which you have been a part of since basically day one of NCIA. Do you remember your first NCIA Lobby Days experience in Washington, D.C. many, many years ago? I know it was a much smaller group the first couple of years. Do you have any yeah. memories? I, I do. Um, uh, you know, I, I wish that I had been at the very first lobby days, but I, I can't uh, I can't say that I was at the very first one. But um, certainly, um, I think uh, I believe I was at the, the third one that we uh, we had. Um, so I was a full fledged uh, NCIA member at that point. And uh, I remember going to uh, D.C., uh, with a lot of other folks from California that were very engaged with, uh, with NCIA. Um, and I remember how empowering that was, um, you know, uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, you know, that, that feeling has grown over time because, you know, as cannabis legalization has advanced, um, you know, we are able to, we're, we're, we're taken much more seriously in the halls of Congress um, than we were uh, during those first lobby days, uh, right? Um, I, I remember um, meetings where, um, you know, we had certain staffers who would look at us incredulously, you know, as to why we were there and, you know, didn't, um, you know, uh, had some inkling that there was a state legal cannabis industry, but still, you know, it was, we were still the butt of jokes, right? We were still mm-hmm. hearing 
um, stupid stoner jokes uh, from staffers and, um, you know, really annoying, annoying stuff. Uh, we were having staffers meet with us, you know, in the hallways rather than, you know, allow mm-hmm. us to be in the offices, um, you know, and we certainly were not getting, um, you know, meetings uh, with, um, you know, with lead congressional leadership, right, um, at, at the time early on. Uh, there were certainly champions that we had, um, you know, that were um, in uh, in their party's leadership, but uh, but it was very, um, you know, the, the, the high level meetings were few and far between early on. Uh, that being said, it was still an incredibly empowering experience and, and one uh, which, you know, got me to come back over and over and over again year after year. Um, and, you know, it is one of the things that I uh, miss the most um, uh, since uh, the, the COVID pandemic is that we haven't been able to have an in-person lobby days um, uh, for, uh, for, for two years now, I believe. And so I'm looking forward to resuming that because, um, uh, that there is nothing like that experience for our members. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, it was 2019, um, May, I believe when we had our last lobby days and it was pre the COVID pandemic and pre, um, political unrest. Uh, so, DC right now is, you know, Congress has changed their security protocols, to say the least. So, you know, I'm not sure what it's going to look like in the future. But, you know, in 2019, our last in-person lobby days, we had over 300 cannabis industry professionals. And I always love that moment where we all get together on the Capitol steps and you know, wrangle everyone together for the class yeah. photo. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, what a great year. And I, that year I got to say hello to Senator Bernie Sanders myself. He passed me in the hallway and I said, hello, Mr. Sanders. And he said, oh, hello, wow. highlight of my trip. Uh, what yeah. about you yeah. from, from that last one? From that last one, I would say, I guess my, the highlight was that um, I, um, was uh, was was uh, privileged enough to uh, to meet with um, um, uh, Congresswoman Pelosi's uh, office. Actually, then I think she was um, I believe she was minority uh, leader at that time, or she mm-hmm. could have actually been speaker um, at that point. Um, um, in fact, I think she was uh, she was speaker. But we we actually got to meet with her staff in her office, um, and so and we got to take you know pictures, the whole nine yards. Uh, as well. Um, and I remember sitting in that office and again, sort of just being, you know, overwhelmed with kind of where, where we were, um, you know, like I'd never been in that office before. And um, um, I think probably very few cannabis advocates have been in that office um, at that point. Um, and so I remember that feeling like a, you know, a moment where, Hey, we've, we've arrived, we are taken very seriously. Um, we are, um, we're doing it. We are transforming federal law. We are uh, hastening the demise of cannabis prohibition at a federal level. This is happening, right? And I remember being there with Chris Crane, uh, who's uh, now now chair of the board and a close, um, a longtime friend of mine. Um, and um, I think uh, Michael uh, Correa was there uh, from uh, um, uh, from NCIA's GR staff. And uh, yeah, I just remember feeling like. We had made so much progress um, um, since the time that we had we had begun that exercise, and that you know we really were coming into our own. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, thinking of the evolution over the years, we maybe had one piece of legislation, or cannabis legalization was just a concept, and 
you know, over the years, we now have like a handful of pieces of legislation that have been introduced on on e in either house at this stage, right? Yeah. So yeah. the House of Representatives at this stage had passed the Safe Banking Act through several times, mm -hmm. just keeps kind of sitting in the Senate. So, yeah. uh, and then we're seeing more comprehensive legislation being introduced as well, like the MORE Act. So we had a lot more to talk about too, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. There, there was a lot more and there was a lot of the level of, you know, engagement from staffers, um, you know, was also uh, um, uh, markedly different than what we had before, just for the simple reason that there were more legal states, there were more staffers who uh, were from states that now had legal cannabis. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was a real thing for them and they had to, they had to, uh, they had to learn very quickly. Right. Yes. Uh, it, yeah. It went from a ha ha. This is funny. The 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 stoners are are the stoners came to D.C. to we are real business people. We're a real industry. We're creating real jobs. We're uh, <laughs> we're generating a lot of tax revenues. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to get to our most recent lobby days. Uh, uh, but first, I actually want to talk about a little bit more about the role of Evergreen members of NCIA. Um, we retooled our membership packages a year ago um, and developed this new membership tier called Evergreen. Yeah. Um, so these are really um, companies that are super stepping up um, to really, really be involved and get some white glove service from our government relations team. Um, and higher level access to these members of Congress and regulators. So um, just for a minute or two, what does this evergreen membership represent um, for you and your company and for, um, for NCIA's uh, advocacy efforts? Sure. Yeah. I mean, for, for us as a, as a company, it's, you know, it's a commitment um, that we have to drug policy reform. It's a commitment we have to NCIA. It's a commitment that we have to, you know, not only the cannabis industry, but uh, but a, a vibrant, vibrant uh, and diverse cannabis industry. Um, one that's not, you know, just a few players um, uh, dominating the industry, but but something that represents the uh, the, the breadth and and diversity of uh, of uh, uh, all cannabis entrepreneurs across the the country, right? So. Um, to me, NCIA is, uh, it, that's what sets us apart is that, you know, we are a big tent. And so we certainly do represent a number of public, uh, publicly traded MSOs um, uh, as, uh, as members of ours, but we also represent plenty of mom and pop businesses uh, too, right? Um, and so um, a lot of those mom and pop businesses, you know, are not able to get uh, government relations uh, services um, uh, to advocate, uh, you know, on their behalf, right? They're they're not big companies that can go and spend fifty grand a month uh, on a lobbying firm to to help them do that, or or even spend, um, you know, the the cost um, uh, to uh, to play with some of the the, the big boys, um, the the bigger companies that um, have uh, organized themselves into into smaller trade associations, more exclusive trade associations. 
um, you know, they, they don't have those resources, right? We make these resources available to them, um, you know, uh, through the Evergreen membership, um, you know, but it's also important to say that we make these resources available to our entire membership. Uh, okay. The Evergreen members are great because they uh, help us keep the lights on uh, at a time when, um, you know, we have not been able to do conferences. We've not been able to do um, a lot of the revenue generating activity that we uh, used to do pre-pandemic. Um, and so having these Evergreen members step up um, and uh, and help keep the lights on and help uh, move uh, things forward uh, is, is really critical. And I think we, we deliver a lot of value for the support that we get in, in exchange. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, yes, let's take our last commercial break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our most recent lobbying event, which happened all virtually, of course, over Zoom with our Evergreen members. So stay tuned, we'll be right back to wrap up our chat with Kershid Koja of Greenbridge Corporate Council. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, with the National Cannabis Industry Association. And we've been talking with Kershid Koja from Greenbridge Corporate Council, who has been very involved in the cannabis industry for over a decade and uh, is one of our Evergreen members. So just a few weeks ago, NCIA conducted a virtual mini lobby days event with our Evergreen Roundtable members, which Greenbridge Corporate Council is a member of. So of course, these meetings were a little bit different from the meetings you were describing earlier before the break, where you know we went to DC and walked the halls of Congress and sat in congressional offices. A little bit different because it happened over Zoom, yeah. but this was basically the same concept of having conversations with members of Congress, educating them, things like that, right? Can you tell mm -hmm. me more about how that went down? Yeah, I, I you know, um, I did not know what to expect. Um, uh, you know, certainly we have had Zoom meetings with congressional staffers uh, independently of lobby days. Uh, myself, you know, Michael Cooper, our GR staff, uh, Aaron, um, you know, over time during the pandemic, we've had those meetings and, and they've all, you know, uh, been um, uh, been useful and, and productive meetings. And but I didn't know how kind of the lobby days exercise would go, uh, because, you know, that's a it's quite different from uh, from, you know, just one off meetings. Right. We've got to coordinate everybody. You've got to um, uh, present um, to these congressional um, staffers in a way that is uh, professional. Uh, represents our um, our um, uh, our members well. Uh, represents the the diversity of our members um, as well. And so, um, you know, I, I did not know exactly what to expect, other than to know that our GR staff, you know, had done their damnedest to to put something together that was, you know, frankly, um, uh, really really well executed. Um, and I think um, very very empowering. Right. I was worried that um, not being in person might detract from that. 
sort of esprit de corps that you you have um, in, um, in 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 person lobby days exercises. But um, you know, I think that we you know every meeting that I was in, um, we had um, representatives from the Evergreen uh, members uh, from various parts of the the industry. Um, you know, representing um, different communities, um, people of color, um, and uh, you know, I, I thought that. Um, uh, it was it was more inclusive, I think, um, than an in-person lobby days could be just, you know, given the fact that not everyone can travel, you know, can give up a week and go travel to, to D.C. Um, for mm -hmm. lobby days. You know, mm -hmm. people have, you know, jobs, people have um, children, families, um, you know, and so it can be difficult to, to get out for that. And so the, the, the thing that I, you know, uh, really loved about virtual lobby days is that we didn't have that uh, barrier to entry. We didn't have that obstacle, right? So you could uh, get more folks out in front of staffers that maybe would not be able to uh, make it to an in-person lobby days. And so I thought that was um, um, uh, an aspect that um, I had thought about before, but um, um, I thought was, uh, was a huge positive, right? And so um, I think the staffers also came away with a very holistic picture um, of, um, uh, of our membership and their concerns um, as well. And I think, you know, we had a lot of conversations where we didn't necessarily see eye to eye uh, with staffers. And we even got to talk to, you know, we even uh, were able to meet with um, Senator Booker, uh, Cory Booker. Uh, we were able to meet with other uh, members of Congress um, as well, uh, and had some very, you know, frank discussions um, with them, um, you know, polite, of course, as always. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know that, um, again, that we would um, have access to, to Senator Booker for that many folks, um, you know, at once to meet with him uh, if we were doing it in person lobby days, right? I think it'd be a lot harder to coordinate. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think we, you know, we're able to uh, be much more representative. And I think we were able to have uh, opportunities for advocacy that, you know, maybe wouldn't present themselves if we had to uh, coordinate this in person. So, um, Great point. Yeah. Fantastic exercise. Um, you know, I do still want to see us go back to in-person lobby days as well, but I think this is also a fantastic uh, addition and we ought to be, you know, doing this more often too, for those who can't necessarily make it out to, to DC. Yeah, what a great point, Kershid. Yeah, and I, I also can't wait to get back to D.C. as well, um, as it used to be my stomping grounds as a young activist. So it's such, such a great experience. And um, as we're wrapping up here, another thing I'm looking forward to, we are hosting our in-person conference and trade shows. Uh, yeah. we, we were at the Moscone Center in San Francisco in December of 2021. Uh, you know, it was a little different. They required vaccination proof to get in. Masks yeah. were required the whole nine yards, but we we made it happen. So we'll be back again in July, July 20th, 21st and 22nd, 2022. The Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. Uh, more information. Tickets will be available in April head to cannabisbusinesssummit.com for more information. And the show is coming together as we head toward July as well. Um, looking forward to seeing you there, Kershid. And thank you for spending a few minutes uh, with me today on the show to talk about how we're conducting our lobbying efforts uh, in strange times. <laughs> thank you for having me, Bethany. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show and thanks to all of our listeners 
for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.